listening to Enjoy an Album, the podcast where two comedians listen to the top 500 greatest albums of all time. Hello, welcome to the Enjoy an Album podcast with me, Liam Withnow, and he, Chris- Christopher MacArthur Schmoid. Yes, Christopher MacArthur Boyd has taken time out of his other regular uh, Wordle podcast. Uh, don't even fucking talk to me about that. <laughs> Chris is, a, Chris is annoyed at the, the moment. This episode comes out, nobody will be playing Wordle. Nobody will be playing it. Chris, Chris is, is annoyed squid game nonsense. because he wrote uh, a letter to the creator of Wordle to complain uh, that the word Funko was uh, was illegitimate and it being Chris's favourite word uh, he had much to say about that <laughs> Do you play this game? Uh, yeah I play it but I don't, Do you post the results I, don't on I don't share my results because I don't, behavior. I don't I don't really get the sharing of the results thing Nobody cares nobody knows what you're talking about other than your other wee freakish friends See if see two weeks after this is recorded and this comes out not to you know show behind the curtain, but see when this comes out. See if you're still putting your results up. Have a word with yourself inside a locked box at the bottom of the river. All right, that's all I'm going to say to you. Yeah, I don't really get the 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 need to put it on the internet Ugh. and show everyone. No one cares. And you know what's worse, actually. So there's lots of people going. Why is everyone sharing this? What's worse for me is the people replying to that guy. Mm, well, it's a bit better than just arguing on Twitter. No, it isn't. It's not. Actually. I love reading Twitter arguments. You know, what I don't like reading green blocks. Yeah, because I'm a Rangers fan. <laughs> <laughs> Big. Uh, this is, of course, the Rangers fan music podcast talking about. Welcome to the Penny all Arcade. Our songs. Yeah. Did I tell you I once accidentally sang a Rangers song in a pub in Hamilton? What? What? How did you do that? I was hosting a comedy karaoke night for the oh. uh, the Glasgow Comedy Festival in Hamilton. Right. Ha ha Hamilton. Um, maybe, maybe it was that. And um, yeah, I had to sort of join in with people doing karaoke. It was a terrible idea, terribly executed. And I sang with a, a drunk um, elderly woman a song called "The Penny Arcade." Which I only learnt after has um, heavy sectarian vibes. Sectarian connotations, for sure. Listen, I'm just a... Look, I'm a gamer. I love arcades. <laughs> I thought it was Penny Arcade, the webcomic. <laughs> uh, nope. <laughs> um, so, uh, we're doing Jason Is... We're doing Jason Isbell. There's well, me, professional music journalist there. Um, we're grabbing them and we're having them. We're cut- this might be someone's first ever one they've downloaded. Maybe we've got some Jason Isbell fans in the house going, "Hey, what's this?" Well, so let me explain. We're listening to the top 500 albums of all time as according to Rolling Stone magazine, one by one, week by week. It's a 10 year project. We're nearly a year in. <laughs> we're nearly a year in, baby. We're getting to the. T- we're near the fucking top 50. I can't wait. The top 450. Oh yeah, shit. <laughs> Don't know if you noticed, we got our first one-star review on Apple uh, Podcasts. Did we really? What episode do you think it was? Um, ooh, Harry Styles. 
could be actually from a one D fan about him. Yeah, there's no way of knowing what it was for. I just wanted to ask. Oh, did they say anything? Uh, no, they're cowards. I do that as well. If I have someone I don't like in my personal life and they have a podcast, I'll go on and I'll give them a wee one star. Were you really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I make their life worse because they make my life worse. Okay. No, I would never do that because I support um, people creating their own content. I love people creating their own content. Apart from people you don't like. Apart from people that I don't like who I love to silently, anonymously sabotage their life. Well, if you want to silently, anonymously improve our lives... <laughs> Then hit us up with five. We haven't asked for a while. Give us a little review. Give us a little review. There's a new thing on Spotify. You can give uh, a podcast five stars on Spotify. I, I've heard of this, but I haven't seen it. So is it? Definitely... I haven't seen it either. So I don't know if it's live yet. It could be a myth. I think it's announced, but it hasn't been rolled out. Right. Well, two weeks for now. Give us a review on Wordle. I want to see five yellow bricks in a row. I want to see f- six yellow bricks and a twelve brick grid that looks like a cock. Um, with thanks as ever to our man Eddie Ting for probably quite a strenuous job this week because I am uh, suffering the repercussions of long COVID. I think I well we'll see how long. Maybe by next week I'll be fine. But I have a bit of fatigue which mm-hmm. uh, kind of come fades in and out a bit throughout the episode and i'm pretty sure there are some long rambling monologues from me about nothing um Mm -hmm. and also some effects of the fatigue (laughs) i would just like to apologize i'm currently suffering the effects of having a terrible personality Mm. and it's really having an effect i hope in a couple of weeks or months it'll come out but it's been 28 years and i'm still an asshole so (laughs) it's affected your sense of taste as well yeah, because I love Jason Isbell. Woo! Um, hey, enjoy the episode and have yourselves a great week until next time. Love you. Goodbye. Rolling Stone magazine's introduction to Jason Isbell's Southeastern. After releasing three Little Herd solo albums, Isbell turned his personal travails, fresh sobriety, getting married, into what would become his opus. It gave me a story to tell, the songwriter said of Southeastern, which featured his sharpest literary writing in Elephant, newfound vulnerability in Travelling Alone, and his new calling card in Cover Me Up. The album set a standard for New Age 70s-inspired singer-songwriters and coronated the Alabama native and his wife and bandmate Amanda Shires as the new king and queen of Americana. They uh, tried to trip me up a couple of times there with the old... Um, lots, lots of S's. Lots of S's. Set a standard for New Age 70s-inspired singer-songwriters. Yeah, all right, Dr. Seuss. Yeah. Didn't know you quit saying a bunch of weird stuff about eugenics and started writing blurbs for uh, Rolling Stone Mag. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I would be, actually. <laughs> Do you hear he had a side hustle back in the day? Listen, you know, I think the, well, the cat in the hat paid for itself, you know? Um, fair, fair enough. Blurb, I guess, you know, not too much...
not too much flair this week. Sometimes too the many writers, S's. Too many S's, for sure. But sometimes the writers, they go a bit too off-piste. Yeah. This is a very... Uh, this is pieced. This is on-piste. Yeah. This is on a piste and jam for me. It's a good old country album. My favourite. It's not... You know, I was saying last week, I was like, oh, I've been getting into country. I'm so excited to listen to this. And for a lot of months, I have been excited. I've seen this coming up on the list as I've been listening to more roots American music. And I've been thinking, I've heard this guy's great. Can't wait for this country hit smash. But it's not really a country album. It's more of a... It uh, is. That's a silly thing to say. It's not a country album. It's more American roots music. Americana is the better way to put it. We'll get into that later, but I think okay. that's a, an insane thing to say. Um, so that you were aware because um, you have said once per episode for the last uh, 40 weeks that you've been getting into country music. Yeah. Um, you see so my t-shirt? Are you wearing a country-inspired t-shirt? Oh, it's, um, yes. Yeah. It, it's it says two, weird country and then there's two conjoined cowboys. Is that Joan Cornella? Don't, I don't think so, no. It looks like a Joan Cornella cartoon. Yeah, it's a Glasgow band who I can't remember the name of, but I don't listen to them. It's just, I really like the, the phrase weird country. Well, as someone who is from a weird country. I um, think that's kind of the double meaning, yeah. I find Britain. It quite- quite triggering um yeah so i mean i i didn't really know this dude i thought i didn't really know this dude but turns out he has entered my um stratosphere previously up there yeah (laughs) the lean with no universe the Um, rock that you float around space in orbit (laughs) yeah because you let me know early on into this week's research that Jason Isbell um, is the responsible, not responsible as such, but was the catalyst for the very famous viral tweets about 40 or 50 feral hogs. So just to anyone who's not as terminally online as Mm -hmm. Chris or I, very quickly explain, um, there was basically a debate in America happening about whether or not assault rifles were, you know, necessary in any context for normal people to own. And Jason Isbell, um, he may be a little bit country, but I tell you what, he's a big lib as well, um, <laughs> was tweeting, there is absolutely no reason for anyone, like, if you, anyone to have a assault rifle. That's he said, ridiculous. if you're on here arguing the definition of assault weapon, today you are part of the problem. You know what an assault weapon is, and you know you don't need one. Yeah, and um, the now famous response to as such was, you want to read it? <laughs> Legit question for rural Americans. How do I kill the 30 to 50 feral hogs that run into my yard within three to five minutes while my small kids play? Yeah, which obviously that, that got picked up so quickly. It's such an insane, it's such an insane tweet. Whilst my kids are playing 30 to 50 feral hogs are running in five minutes and the only option i have is to pull out an (laughs) ak-47 a kalashnikov assault rifle and just spray wildly into the crowd of hogs missing my children i've been attacked being attacked by 30 to 50 feral hogs (laughs) great great that's like you know uh, there's like twitter moments of the year and that was 
that went on and on. You can do you if you reference thirty to fifty feral hogs Mm -hmm. in a tweet now. Boy, oh boy, people will go. Oh my god, remember that? That was great. Remember that guy who tried to justify the uh, unnecessary firepower in rural America? It's the sort of thing that occasionally, like, I'll hear someone make a joke about thirty to fifty feral hogs, and I'll laugh. And my wife, who is not online in the slightest, oh. will say, yeah. what is that? And I will have to explain. The way we just did. Mm-hmm. And it kind of sucks all the fun out of it. So apologies no, for that. No, I, I like it, you know. My last night, my girlfriend said to me, who is Robert Durst? Oh, yeah. And I just had to explain. Lead singer of Limp Biscuit. Yeah. <laughs> Three to the six to the four, five, six. Yeah, you're choking, but you're fixing the Robert Durst mix, huh? 30 to 50 feral hogs, huh? <laughs> I don't know if knowing who a famous serial killer is is in the same realm as I don't know if you have to be very online to know who Robert Durst was. I think it helps, you know. Well, I guess I said he was a businessman, an American businessman, <laughs> <laughs> a businessman first and last, and that's the end of the conversation. <laughs> an American businessman who killed people, and she was like, "Oh, that makes sense." Yeah, a bit like Basically. Bezos. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you're, you're saying this guy's a, a lib, mm. you know, uh, almost. A, I'd say he's a, I'd say he's a, a comrade. Okay, well, you know, um, jury's out. I'm willing to be convinced. I'm, I'm not. You know, I just assumed he was. He came out heavy in favour uh, for Biden, and yeah. and released a, a country song mm-hmm. in celebration of him turning Georgia blue. So. You know that was that's all I'm basing. It is good to turn Georgia blue. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it, uh, I was reading a, a a profile of him from a couple of years ago, and he did have a Obama Biden uh, bumper sticker on the back of his pickup truck. Do you not think it's great though? Like, okay, maybe he's not you know reading uh, Das Capital or whatever, but um, it is good that there's like a a modern country star who writes about white privilege and yeah no like i say sure did that did you read that article i sent you about how he, he was doing a run at a very prestigious venue in nashville when he had a different black country singer opening for him a different female black country singer opening for him every every gig that's cool did you read it no okay Listen, I'm I'm recovering from a long term. <laughs> I've long COVID. Everybody, if you wonder why the energy might be a wee bit down this week, Liam has long COVID mm-hmm. to match his short cock. Wow. So no, I didn't read. I actually did go and try and find it, but I couldn't find it. But um, so that yeah. So he seems like a he seems like a nice man. I think he's a nice man. Yeah. Let's start before he was a man. He, he was, was a boy. A, he was a boy, <laughs> a a little boy. And what kind of circumstances did little boy Michael Jason Isbell grow up as? Let's find out. Secret Pasho. Secret, secret Pasho. You do it fast and it feels like Nacho. I got no money. You got Dash Bro. Secret Pasho. Um, I am going to say... No. N- no Pasho. No Pasho to this week. This is the new thing that I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm wagging my finger. So when after the jingle... I'm either going to say, no, Pasho, which means no, uh-huh. or what would be a good one for? Correct. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Spot on. 
Yeah, okay, that's a new thing. Um, what about this? Ah, ah, it's Pasho. That's good. No Pasho. Or, ah, ah, it's Pasho. <laughs> I'm going to say it's a no Pasho this week. Um, right. His mum was an interior designer and his dad a house painter. Um, Same job as far as I'm concerned. Well, one's inside, one's outside. Oh, Painting, it's a house painter. Oh, you don't paint the outside there, house, do you? It's a house painter. He's painting houses. It sounds to me like it's outside. <laughs> what would you call a guy who paints the inside their house? An interior designer. The same as you. Why would you paint this? I guess in America, or, or like just, just, just a painter and decorator, but a house painter, specifically. If you're inside, you're not a house painter, you're a room painter. Do you genuinely believe that? No. No. Okay, good. They had him young. His mother had him aged uh, 17, which I think is fucked up because uh, zero is normally uh, the age that you I had. He was he was born age 17, man. That's my You've up. been deliberately misunderstanding all that stuff this week, Liam. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. His mother was 17 and his, uh, his dad was 19. Uh, so whilst they were out working, painting the inside and outside of houses... His grandparents looked after him, and they're very musical grandparents. What is it about the the guy being two years younger than the woman that seems to result in so many pregnancies? Because that's the that's the gap between my mum and dad as well. And so that's your basic. Pretty common, I think. <laughs> you go. What is it about somebody being two years ahead of you? You go. They should have a baby with me. Um, I don't think there's enough stats to, to back up this outlandish claim because I think there's six years between my parents I'm going to look into it yeah okay I'm going to go, go into the archives and you phone the <laughs> ONS and get back to me the one night stand association <laughs> <laughs> tell them to delete my records <laughs> <laughs> tell them if they can find any records they are inaccurate at best uh, so his grandpops um Taught playing some. They taught him to play the mandolin when he was six because he was um it was much weirder than a guitar. He couldn't hold a guitar, so uh, playing music from a very young age. His grandparents played in church. They were really religious. They went to two churches, one of which was singing only because instruments are the work of the devil. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find what school he went to uh, because it's not that. I Lesson mean, man. He, he was born in a trailer park. You don't even find out what school he went to. Yeah, Nobody's getting born in a trailer park and then going, oh, no, I'm going to Eton. That's exactly what happened to Iggy Pop. Do you not remember? Oh, yeah. Fuck. Good, good show. So, um, but I did find this tweet from Jason Isbell uh-huh. um, saying, the high school I attended didn't make it into the top ranked 127 public high schools, high schools in Alabama. Don't give up. And then someone replied saying, well, it's all very well, but I went to high school with 30 to 50 feral hogs. <laughs> That's funny. He started playing in a country covers band when he was 14, and it wasn't pretty good because he got to play the Grand Ole Opry. Wow. We spoke about the Grand Ole Opry in here, I think, before. Maybe during... Um, we spoke it? about the Grand Ole Opry in Glasgow, which is named... It's a oh, kind of country western venue named in reference to... A venue in America that is the most prestigious uh, TV show is called The Grand Ole Opry and it's filmed there. Yeah, and it's uh, just a, a working music venue as well. I'm pretty sure you can just go and see. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Have you seen, did you watch Wild Rose? Wild Rose? Is that a country film? 
Yeah, it's about a girl from Glasgow. Oh, yeah. Jenny Godley's in it. That's right. And and there are scenes filmed in the Glasgow Grand Ole Opry. Mm-hmm. And uh, comedian Jenny Godley plays the bar lady. Yeah. Um, and it, so it's a, yeah, it's about a Glaswegian working class woman um, then going to try and make it in Nashville. And and they show both Grand Ole Opry's. It's, it's an all right film. It's a good sort of like British feel good Rags to riches kind of story. Well, I'm getting into country. I don't know if I've mentioned it on the pod before. Um, I'm getting into country, so I'd probably really dig it. Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I would love to go to Nashville. Nashville, New Orleans, a week each, and just go to different music venues each night. I said to Sam, she says, I don't know why I get you for your birthday. You're so hard to buy stuff for. I said, this year, I want a cowboy hat. I want a woolen cowboy hat. I want a Stetson. Did you know, I was looking into this, did you know Stetson's, the cowboy hats, the quality is determined on the inside. There's a secret code. X's on the inside. 4X is the best cowboy hat. I'm not asking for a 4X hat. That would cost thousands of dollars. I want 1X. And I just, I don't want to wear it outside. I want to sit in my house in my pyjamas with my cowboy hat on playing... <laughs> Video games. <laughs> I've been replaying Red Dead Redemption too. And I Is this what you be... mean when you say you've been getting into country? You've been playing Red Dead. <laughs> I've been playing Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, listening to the country station, basically. <laughs> Two cigarettes in an ashtray. But I would like, I'm, and I'm, you know, I feel like I spent my teenager dressed. Teenage years dressed like a metalhead, and then I've had this kind of Smith, Spell, and Sebastian type shit for a while. And now I'm like, maybe the next step is I'm a cowboy. Right, okay. Leather waistcoat? Not that type of cowboy. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> More like I wear a cowboy chaps. hat and a pair of pants, and I don't leave my house because I have depression. <laughs> Do you think you would wear a cowboy hat on stage? I would love to. I, I don't think people should wear cowboy hats on stage because the brim will, you know, you'll cover up your face with a shadow because of the way the light hits you. I think it's kind of silly to wear a hat on stage. No offence to people who do that. I, I'm happy to offend the hat-wearing comics, the hat-wearing freaks out there. <laughs> um, well, it's like when someone does stand up with, like, a block fringe. Yep. You know. You're missing out on all that forehead expression. One There's of your so much funny in weapons. the forehead. One of your main weapons as a comedian is your eyebrows. Mm-hmm. And that's your like, in terms of weaponry, that's like a ninja's fucking. Do you know those uh, uh, little swords they have that are like three pronged swords? Right. Like one of the ninja turtles has one. Has them? Okay. Yeah. That is. The they eyebrows look like forks. They look like forks. Yeah, little forks. Yeah. And the, that would have been fucked up because the ninja turtles ate pizza, which you don't need a fork for. Depends where you're going, Paisano. Sometimes you need. A fork and knife in there, man. It's quite soupy. That's true. The, yeah. the turtles, they'd have been glad to have had that particular turtle with them. Yeah. <laughs> so to continue the Jason Isbell life story. <laughs> I don't think that was my fault, that fucking diversion. I know I'm a bit like long COVID-y fatigue right now, but I think yeah. we, both, we both have a part to play in this absolute mess of an opening 20 minutes. Um. Isabel. <laughs> he joined a group called the Drive-By Truckers. Yeah, do you know how he joined them? 
he was at a house party and it was a very important gig. Important people were there. One of the guitarists didn't show up. Isbell was there. He was a wee bit fried, but he went up, he knew all the songs, and he rocked it. And he said, do you want to join the band? Yeah, crazy. There's a little bit of information prior to that. Basically, one of the drive-by truckers' dads was a regular like uh, musician just mm-hmm. around the town that Isbell was going to see um, bands all the time. And he got to know his dad and went and said to him, you know, look, I'm a musician. And so one of the drive-by truckers' dads kind of acted as his mentor and that's how he sort of got into that house party as such mm. yeah man uh first time i heard about the drive-by truckers i've brought it up many times but there's a book called killing yourself to live by chuck klosterman i read it when i was 14 it changed my life it's where he travels across america and visits all the places where famous rock stars have died and tries to learn something about being alive from it uh, but it's also because it was wrote in 2004 it's it's a bit dated now in terms of stylistically some of the decisions and the way he writes about certain things mm. but I remember being 14 in Glasgow airport reading this book and he mentions that he listens to Southern Rock Opera by the Drive-By Truckers which is the album before Isbell joined and I remember going God Southern Rock Opera by the Drive-By Truckers this is like a great record and then 14 years later, I finally listened to it this week. And I was like, yeah, I would have liked that at the time. But you don't like it now? No, I like I like. I, I still dig it now. I, the, I was listening to the Drive-By Trucker songs that Isbell wrote. Because uh, he wrote his first song with them three days into joining the band. He went, what about this? And they went, that's gone on the album. Because uh, he was so good straight away. Yeah, I heard that song. You sent it to me. Outfit. Uh, it's like yeah. life lessons from his dad. Don't call what you're wearing an outfit. And don't say that your car is broke. Don't say you're bigger than... There's all kind of stuff like that, kind of life. It's good, good stuff. Did yeah, you like I, it? well, I mean, this is where we're getting to my issues with all of this. What's I like fucking it. fucking problem? I, I like it when it's less, when it's less, when there's less countryness to it all. That's so... When it leans into the honky-tonk too much, and when they start talking about being old and lonely on the longest highway in the land, and I left a girl in California for one in Reno Bay, and I'm an old I man... I guarantee you there's no bay in Reno. I guarantee you. It's landlocked, I'm sure. When uh, and <laughs> it's not even a river. <laughs> I'm on an old horse smoking a cigarette, and my wife done left me. For I think that's total bullshit, and we'll get into it later. God, that well, we will because yeah. there's there is some of that on this record, right? There's but a, okay, before we right. get to that, continue the life story. You get kicked out, much in the same way that uh, Dave Mustaine, one of the original members of Metallica, got kicked out for being a bloody alky. Uh, yeah, he was with a drive-by truckers for like 10 years and basically he says now that he doesn't really remember any of that because he was doing so much coke and drinking so much Jack Daniels, um, like an absolute legend. He was married to uh, one of the truckers, mm-hmm, the uh, bass player. but that you know didn't, didn't work out and uh, yeah, he was basically kicked out for being, 
being a drunk kid, they posted a comment at the time and it was sort of said, oh, this is amicable and we're still friends and go and support his solo projects and etc, etc. But it was essentially down to him being a big pisshead. Yeah, Patterson uh, Hood, who was one of the original drive-by trucker guys, he said, some people get drunk and become kind of sweet. Jason wasn't one of those people. <laughs> yeah. Um, what kind of drunk were you before you went into recovery? Well, generally, I think, first off, everybody thinks that they're a sweet drunk. Everybody thinks that they're a funny drunk. No one is. You told me I was, but I, I would say I was more of a sad drunk, which is why I don't do it very much. When uh, Oh, well, I, that was one experience. You were very drunk at the end of the Edinburgh Festival this year, mm-hmm. um, and you were kind of all over the place, and... Yeah, you weren't, but sweet, I would say you were being kind of sweet because you were kind of like a lost little boy. Um, But, I mean, I was happy to not be in your company anymore. Sure. You know, I would say 99.9% of drunks are annoying. Yeah, it's very annoying. Uh, In the same way that children are annoying, that's why I don't want children. Yeah, Um, but I was pretty pretty happy as long as I had a... My booze, you know. I, sure. I, you, I, I've met many drunks, and there are some who are aggressive, and some who love to argue when they're drunk. And I wasn't any of those things. I love mm-hmm. to just have a laugh and have a drink. And I was probably very annoying, um, and you know, liked a bit of a sing song, mm-hmm. all that stuff. But uh, I don't. I wasn't. I certainly wasn't. I don't think it was too bad. Which is why when I gave up drinking, I think people found it a bit, a little bit jarring because people were like, "Hey, you, yeah, you sure you like a drink? But you don't, you don't seem that bad, you know." You've uh, never glassed anyone in front of me. Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. So this uh, is the second sobriety record. We had the Nick of Time by Bonnie Raitt. Which what didn't do really. You think? Th- oh. th- sorry, go on. Which of the two do you prefer? As a kind of reflection of your own experience well nick of time very purposely didn't actually lean in in the songwriting too much to to sobriety she did call it her first sober record i remember mm-hmm. but um I, I, if i remember correctly she was like this is my first sober record it's my first time writing a record in this way but the actual the, the meat and bones of the song are not necessarily about sobriety whereas this there is a lot of that in there's here. like four or five lanes that are like I'm dry now, but it's not like if you if 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 you don't if you don't you know it's not all about that. I'd say. No, no, it's not, and I didn't really recognise it was. I mean, whenever I listen to the album, I go in completely cold first time. I don't look up anything about the artist or the album. Obviously, sometimes I know some stuff beforehand anyway, um, mm-hmm. so I didn't pick up on it straight away. Apart from a couple lines, you know, I, I, I got dry and, and all that stuff. But that's just general cowboy platitudes. You mm-hmm. know, you hear that a lot. Um, he got, so we should probably just say that he was, uh, there was an intervention. That's how bad it got. That his... Um, he, he asked for it though. Which is a very strange kind of intervention. So, so go on. I don't know this element of it. Oh, so basically... I was listening to an interview with him and George Saunders. Oh, it may have been a podcast with him and Rick Rubin, actually. And Rick Rubin asked him, it's called Broken Record. And he's like, what, uh, how did you become sober? And he was like, well, I realised I really loved the woman I was with, which is the, uh, his current wife, who is not the 
bass player for the Drive By Turkers, they broke up and he realised she wasn't going to stick around. She wasn't going to put up with my nonsense. So I said to her, listen, I want to give up booze. And she was like, if you want to do it, that's cool. Three days later, he said that again. He was like, I need to knock this in the head. And she was like, all right. So she contacted his manager and then she contacted his mum and dad and they had an intervention. Is it still an intervention? Because I feel well, like an intervention is people coming in and going, we are intervening. I mean, it's kind of, you're it, asking for an intervention, that's not an intervention. Uh, so the thing is, is that, you know, alcoholics, that's, that's not unusual to drunkenly say to people, <laughs> I need to give up the booze, uh, you uh-huh. know. You know, that's something I'd said a, a number of times. That It's like a famous, oh, I'm never drinking again, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I, I don't know if it's, it's, it's not like it, it necessary. If it organised it, then I'd be, but either way, you know, it doesn't really matter. No. Um, you know, in, interventions can kind of go either way because if you're going to give up drinking, then you need to do it for yourself before you're doing it for other people generally if people are getting sober in order just to please their their family and friends then it's um a, a bit harder to stick well i mean i'm sure there are plenty of examples of of, of it sticking but g- generally those i mean that tv there was a, a tv show of the of interventions in america it was really disgusting um so like that i don't know i don't know much about them i never had anything like that but mm-hmm. um but yeah, went to rehab. Some one of the people in his band said that he was always a great songwriter, even you know, even when he was putting all these things in the way with the booze and stuff. But then when he got rid of that, it was just so, it was just like an outpouring of great songs. You know, it's, uh, he admits that the first couple of solo albums he did as Jason as Bill after being in the Drive By Truckers, they weren't that great. Yeah, so he went to rehab for a while, and and then his first gig outside of rehab was in Perth, Australia. Three days after he'd left rehab, um, he flew to Perth to open for Ryan Adams. Mm. Um, it was he first... was supposed he was supposed to produce this album, right? Um, it was his first sober gig to two and a half thousand people, um, which he was yeah obviously kind of fucked up about, but but then managed it and and. And it felt good. And, and that was actually a very interesting... I mean, obviously, I performed both drunk and sober. So, you know, I, I remember... I mean, I wasn't always drunk when I performed. Um, so it wasn't that weird for me to get used to performing without having a drink first. Um, but I normally did drink whilst performing. So what was fresh for me was finishing a gig sober. Um, I think I've told you before, when I used to host Red Raw, mm-hmm. I... Um, in the first section of the show, I would only talk to the left-hand side of the room. And in the second section of the show, I would only talk to the right-hand side of the room. Um, so that way, I would never accidentally go and talk to someone who I'd forgotten that I'd spoken to earlier. That's so sad. <laughs> but, you know, kind of ingenious. Yeah, in the same way that like hiding a bottle of whiskey and <laughs> that bit behind the toilet... <laughs> It's ingenious. <laughs> the cistern. <laughs> so, well, that was really clever. It's also sad. Uh. Yeah, but, you know, and then I, I remember, this is what made me think of it when I when I heard, read Jason Isbell talking about that first gig, where, you know, and the sort of clarity he had on the stage. I remember then hosting a Red Raw quite early into my sobriety and doing a callback from the first section mm-hmm. 
and having a little revelation in my head going, oh my God, Liam, you remember something from an hour ago. Wow. Yeah. That's the kind of superpowers that sobriety can give you. <laughs> Short-term memory. Yeah, uh, and also, you know, my, I spent my first year of sobriety writing a show about sobriety, and obviously, you know, uh, Jason Isbell came out of rehab and, and wrote this album. Mm-hmm. Um, people tend to go either way with it, you know. They either go to sort of the Bonnie Raitt way of, oh, I'm not really talking about it, but channeling their new energy into new work. Um, mm-hmm. Or just writing all about it. I don't think it's a choice that you can really make because, to be honest, it's kind of made for you. It's it's what you you write about, what you know, and if that's what you are thinking about nonstop, that's what you end up writing about. Um, so yeah, so he he wrote this album. So obviously for me, there's some songs which I connect with on that element a little bit more than others. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I find some of them very like there's some very unique perspectives on on alcoholisms that i wonder if they have that same connection with you know non-addicts or whatever but um mm-hmm. we can we can start talking about the album if you want i it didn't sound like i thought it would as i was saying earlier on it's not really a country record it's a americana record which is a slightly different thing compared to more classic country uh, he gets held up as the kind of great modern guy who isn't mainstream country singer, you know? You get people who have a very... Like, Miranda Lambert is a good example of, like, a Nashville superstar who does big pop country songs. And this is more, like you said, well, like uh, Dr. Seuss said in the blurb, is that kind of... Uh, 70s singer-songwriter stuff. It's more like a country rock album. It's more like a southern rock album than a country album, I would say. When it leans in to that, I'm writing a story, be it from my perspective or not, uh, and it's like storytelling, singer-songwriting. Yeah. Bob Dylan-esque at points. He has a Bob Dylan lyric tattooed on his arm. Completely unsurprising when you hear some of these songs. Yeah. Um, I would say it's way better than Bob Dylan, to be honest with you, you know? I think that's crazy, but okay. Um, I don't like Bob Dylan. I think he's a fucking magician. You know, he's a fucking. I don't like magicians. <laughs> I don't like magicians. I think it's mental. That's mental. I think we'll probably do some deep dives later on Dylan, and I think we'll come up. I, th- I reckon your opinion will be changed on that because I've done some oyster shucking solo, brother. I've been down to those depths, and I've came up with a handful of sand. There's so many. He's written so many incredible songs. I think it's, that's mad for someone with like your, uh, you know, interest in in music uh, and, and songwriting. Uh-huh. I, I I put it to you that by the end of this podcast series, yeah, you'd have changed your tune. Well, I'll be uh, nearly forty by then, so yeah, you'll be. I will be an old person. fucking f- idiot who <laughs> likes Bob Dylan or pretends to. Um, but there are some. But however, and this actually. In the same way, with that Kid Cudi album from mm-hmm. a few weeks ago, where when he allows himself to dive deep into, you know, uh, his feelings, his unique perspective on life, and his sort of observational or observational relations uh, that maybe are said less often. Brilliant when he leans in, when Kid Cudi leans into that sort of mainstream hip hop, and when. Isabel leans back into that country background is where I'm like... He's a country singer, what are you talking about? But that's the exact same criticism you had of Kid Cudi. 
That's my no, point. I was slagging off when he was being cliched. I don't like it when Kid Cudi's being cliched. Yeah, but that's what I'm There's saying no here. no cliches in this. This is like cliche-free country singing. Let me read you the lyrics to Super 8. Don't want to die in a Super 8 motel uh-huh. just because somebody's evening didn't go well. If I ever get back to Bristol, I better off sleeping in the county jail. Are you telling me that's not a cliche country song? Don't want to die in a Super 8 motel. I mean, who hasn't spent a night in a hotel? And, oh, Jesus. And it's well, about that here. proper honky-tonk as well to the back of it. Like, it's there is... known, though. He's not doing that unironically. It's the, only on. so- it's the only song on the record that's like a proper honky-tonk. Blues but there gym. are there are plenty of moments in this that no, have I would it. say everything's very known. It's not like he's like, I, I, yeah, I think you misread that a wee bit. But I think that's the thing about songwriting that people dig is the fact that you know he's not going for the easy answers and all that stuff. Listen, I agree, right? On as I, this is exactly the point I was making when he's just. When he's just writing and he's writing these these beautiful ideas, I think the songs really stand out. There are definitely, I think, a few songs in this album in which though that country cliches come out and when they do, that's when I'm like, meh, I feel not as interested in this now. Okay. That's a you problem. It's not a Jason Esbell problem. That's insane. It's the exact same it's the exact same criticism you have for Kid Cudi. No, because he was saying stuff like all that glitters is not gold. You know, it's like, that's a cliche. There are, okay, I reckon we could go through the record lyrics and we could play a bit of country music bingo and there would be a number in here, is all I'm saying. I know you enjoy the record. We're allowed Here's to have a lyric slightly... I enjoyed that I don't think you would find on any other record. I lost a good friend Christmas time when folks go off the deep end. His woman took the kids and he took clonopin, enough to kill a man of twice his size. Oh. Yeah, there's some... You seem to have taken it quite personal. I've been getting into country recently. I'm getting into country. I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast at any point. I've been getting into country. You seem to have taken it a little bit personally. My slight criticism. Well, I just think album. it's like slagging off an opera because a woman comes down to the front of the stage with horns on her head and starts singing in a high voice and going, oh, cause this is classic opera. It's like, it's fucking opera, bro. You know? Oh, I don't like this metal album because he brought up the devil. It's like, well... And, and and what kind of interesting detail did they describe Satan's horns? Do you know what I mean? It's like, we're all... You can't do a country record and not do a song about being on the road. <laughs> I just, think you can. It's just what it is. Well, that's okay. Well, that's what I find boring, you know? You want to talk mm. about being on the, the lonely old highway. I'm like, mm, okay. Well, that song's that's... been... Uh, there's a song that Liam's referring to. It's called Travelling Alone. I actually like that song. It's I been do like very that controversial song. in this flight. I'll tell you that much. Traveling alone, I like that. It's a good hook. I think it's one of the best hooks on the album. Yeah, it's a big catchy chorus. I've 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 been singing it in the house. How does it go again? I'm, I'm so tired of yeah. traveling alone. I'm so tired of traveling alone, and it does repeat it a I'm lot. I'm so tired of traveling alone. Won't you ride with me? Won't you ride? And uh, my girlfriend was trying to get to sleep last night and I was walking home for the stand after closing the damn show. And uh, she said, are you okay? And I just sent her back a voice message of that chorus. And she said, um, I just got that out of my head. So thanks for that. 
I've just been singing that chorus the whole weekend. I would say that's probably the most cliched song on the whole record. But uh, even then, the thing is, it's like doing stand-up, do you know what I mean? And I know we've I tried not to speak about stand-up before I brought it up, but it's like you can talk about old topics as long as you do it in an interesting way. And I think any time he brings up like a hackneyed subject... I don't, I, I don't think, I don't think uh, not wanting to die in a hotel is a cliched thing. The music sounds kind of silly. That's the one song on the record that has that kind of rock sound. Do you know what I mean? But it's a, it's an interesting lyrics, you know? Yeah, well, we could agree to disagree. That's okay. okay sure. I, 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 there are moments that, to me, feel more cliched than others. And for me, the, um, the like you say, the sort of ha- hackneyed subject matter isn't uh, explored interestingly enough to make it, you know, like, make me want to listen to it more. Now, that all being said, that's out of the way now. That's mm-hmm. my criticism of a bits of the album. Mm-hmm. The other songs, where it's just him and his guitar... And he's just doing storytelling songs mm-hmm. are brilliant. Yeah, you like that stuff? Like some of the, so let's say some some of my favourites. Elephant. He personally is, thinks Elephant's the best song he's ever wrote. It's like, it's really amazing. Okay, so Elephant is about a bartender um, chatting to uh, a regular at the mm-hmm. bar who has been diagnosed with an incurable form of cancer and them sort of, you know, have trying to continue their normal life, their normal relationship and laughing and joking and drinking. And But the whole time there's this horrible elephant in the room that at some point, at some point soon, mm-hmm. you, you are going to die. Let's and, not bring it up. Let's just hang out. Yeah. And how actually that is true of all of us, you know, that no one dies with dignity we are there is that elephant exists throughout our, our whole lives and it's mm-hmm. whether how, how how much really can anyone ever really face it head on and i think that's a really he comes back to the subject on his next record he's got a song that he thinks is the second best song he's ever wrote it's called uh if we were vampires which is quite a silly name for it but it's about like i wish we were vampires and because the sad thing about being in a relationship with someone is hey it doesn't matter how good the time we are having one of us is going to die at some point and the other one will be left alone. And all we have is the moments we spend together. Oh. Yeah. He said he cried when he wrote both those songs. He made yeah, himself so, cry. And and that was um first listen, walking to work with my headphones on, I was really struck by immediately by by the lyrics of, of Elephant. Yeah. Uh, sweeping up the hair. Yeah, all that stuff. Jeez. It's, yeah. Um that's after that's straight after traveling alone, which is more country, but I do actually like. You know, it's uh, traveling alone. It reminded me of the um, Ugly Lights um, yeah. by Miranda Lambert, where yeah, it's country, but it's fun and it's good and it's just uh, the cliches are just just about right. I think for it to be like a fun country song. I think this is deep ingrained classism, Liam. That's honestly a mental thing to say to me. I'm not <laughs> going to dignify that of a response. Deeply ingrained classism from One someone the... who is. Uh... A socially upwardly mobile person, you somehow no class uh, comradeship with the poor people of America here and their beloved forms of art. You have to like country music, or you're not really left wing, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that's that's right. Famous socialists, country musicians. You fucking idiot! (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's really a, yeah, okay. I can see now why 
Keir Starmer's in charge if you're going to say stuff like that. Um, Live Oak as well is uh, is is a really amazing bit of songwriting. Um, is that the one about the? See, the, my issue is the first time. Maybe it's, this is kind of stupid of me. I assumed all these songs were wrote for his point of view. Uh, that is not the case. Like he he has never had a good friend who had cancer and he had to keep them company. Like he just came up with it as a story. <laughs> so I thought that this song, you know, this song, the live oak is all about like there's a man who walks beside me. That's right. So um, let me get the exact lyric. Because as, as soon as he said sung this, I was really struck. And this is the opening lyric. There's a man who walks beside me. It is who I used to be. And I wonder if she sees him and confuses him with me. Um, and it's basically saying, look, there's a, you know, don't, will my wife still love me? If I change. Uh, well, if she knows how I have changed, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm not the person who my wife originally fell in love with. Me, love with. Um, so... It's interesting. I think it's really interesting what you say about you know you weren't sure you didn't know that they were. It was storytelling, and he he is in these characters because, in a way, you know you live through all of your characters of the the story. Well, that's that you a tell. really interesting lyric. I was listening to that. And I was like, God, you know, I've I've been with my girlfriend for five years, you know, and I don't think I'm the same person I was when she met me. Um, so I really can. I was like, Oh, I can't wait to hear what else he's talking about in this song and how he gets into that subject. But then I was listening to it while I was walking through the park, and I was like, I think this is about some kind of murder of this song. Yeah, it is. It's, it's about like, a, yeah. well, it's about a, a, a pre-Civil War soldier <laughs> um, coming back from his time in the army uh-huh. and basically dealing with looking at his wife and, and knowing that, you know, he's been away and he's done all these horrible things yeah. and murdered people. So um, I was but- confused because I was like, I don't think Jason Isbell was a pre-Civil War soldier who's murdered people, you know? But, you know, he is a recently recovered alcoholic, so that's the point I'm making, in that obviously, you know, you can make allegories between what he's writing about and what he's going through, you know, and that is something that, you know, I didn't pick up straight away on the on the, the, the pre-Civil War element of it, because I, <laughs> yeah. I just heard that um, that opening verse, and just before I knew it was about sobriety even. Mm-hmm. But I did. It did make me think of that. Of you know, I who I used to be versus who I am now. And I think anyone who's gone through recovery will uh, understand their previous drunken selves as a different version of themselves. I think anybody uh, who doesn't look back on who they were a couple of years ago and think, "God, what a fucking idiot!" Hmm. You really need to be a bit of a <sighs> dullard to not have any kind of self-reflection. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so again. That I mean, those songs are really him at his his peak on the album. I just thought it was a really interesting thing that thing, not knowing if he's telling the truth or not. But then I think about other songs, and I'm like, well, well you know, like when Metallica start talking about the devil and stuff. I'm not assuming that they're Satanists or that they do spells or whatever. Do you know what I mean? I read this interview, and he was saying that's part of the beauty of it. You don't have to delineate between any of those things. If you're writing a song, you can use anything in the toolbox. It can be your own experience, a story you've heard something you completely made up and this is the interesting bit songs aren't categorised that way that movies and books are if you go into a music store it's not shelved based on what's true and what's fiction that to me is one of the things that's really attractive about songwriting you can write about what you know 
but you can still create a completely fictional story to explain yourself sometimes. And that really made me think, like, why is it? And, <laughs> like, uh, uh, like, if you went in a fop or the bop shop, you know, and they had the wee uh, DVD section. I don't know if the bop shop has a DVD section. I'd imagine not. But if you went <laughs> in there, why are the documentaries in a different place for the films? Because who cares? Um, well, I guess there are genres, though, in, in record shops. Right, but if I'm watching a, a film about a serial killer, and then a film about sheep, you know, uh, showing the sheep, the film, right? And then I watch a documentary about a serial killer, and then a documentary about sheep, you know, real sheep, not showing the sheep, the first two will be in the same section and the latter two will be in the same section when really the two sheep films should be in the same section the sheep section <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean um kind of I, I I'm agree saying with... documentaries about serial killers should be in the horror section I agree with his initial uh, you know what he's saying but I think he goes off on a weird tangent there, which I'm like, I don't know, bro. I think it just makes sense to have documentaries or documentaries. and. But why films. is music not the same? If you're the, say, you're, say you're Johnny Cash and you're writing about being in Folsom Prison, he never fucking went to Folsom Prison. That should be in the fiction section of the music shop. Whereas, you know, if you're Fiona Apple, writing what about fetching that... bolt cutters. What kind of record shop? How would that work? Well, that's what he's saying. It's like, why is the DVD section like that, but the music section isn't? That it would be completely point. unmanageable. That's why. Because he's got a fucking song in here, in on this album, which is obviously about his sobriety. Okay, that's a real one. And then he has a song that is about being a fucking pre-Civil War murderer. That but it's obviously... also about being sober, which he actually was. That that Okay, so which section does it go in? You t- you're talking absolute fucking Coswallop, Isbell. I think he's been drinking. Yeah, he's back on it. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I think it's a good point. I think it's a good point. You refuse to acknowledge that this trailer park dwelling Alabama native could have an interesting point about the categorization of media. And it's really showing your true colours here. Have a look at your wee uh, uh, hammer and sickle next time because the working man has very salient points about alphabetization. And genrefication of sure. art. Yeah, okay. We'll make a third section just for him. <laughs> if that's what he wants. Did you know that um, Isbell has covered a Metallica song? Yeah, sad but true. And it's a fucking ripper. That's the first Jason Isbell song I heard because I was going through Metallica recently done this thing called The Black Album where they got all these disparate artists. So Phoebe Bridges, Weezer, Mac DeMarco, uh, Jason Isbell, and I went through fucking all of it, all all five hours of it. Did you really? You listened yeah. to all of it. That's crazy. I was going to do a separate podcast where I'd go through it song by song. Lovely. I think, people, I think I think people would be into that. You can do a little. Well, little... listen, I'm a one. I like to get both my balls out of my denims and just point them in the one direction at a time. And also, the thing about if you're in two separate podcasts, what how are you going to categorize them? Which is going to go in which well, area both of true. the podcast? podcast section the only fictional part of this podcast is your claim to uh, love fellow people of the underclass <laughs> hey you're the one keep bringing it up yes 
I think it's something, I always, you know, you get those people who go, listen, I like all kinds of music except rap and country. And what they mean by that is I like all kinds of music except what poor people listen to. We have had some country records on here and there has been, there's been, there's country. Have you ever fell in love with a country song? I put fucking Gillian, what's her name, on the playlist. Mm -hmm. So don't give me that shit. Okay. Mister, I've listened to two episodes about a fucking of a country music podcast, and now every other two minutes I'm gonna tear everyone. I'm into country. I'm gonna buy a cowboy hat to wear in my flat on my own. Come on, to fuck. That's who I am. You're a poser, is what you are. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm afraid of the working men. You're a so. poser. You're a pretender, and I'm calling you out. <laughs> I'm putting you on blast. Long COVID's really changed you. You know that. So. um... <laughs> This actually led me down another weird rabbit hole. Actually, interesting that you should bring up both rap and country, right? So, um, that song, Elephant. Mm-hmm. There was a little um, sort of guitar strum at the end where you know you sometimes you hear a bit of one song and you go, whoa! And it just it memory hold me back to a song that I listened to maybe 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. That, probably longer, actually, because I'm pretty sure I was in high school. Where um, the rapper... Plan B oh, yeah. released a mixtape. This is before he was like big famous Plan B. He was famous uh, for like two years, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, he's an interesting dude. He released a mixtape called Painted Blacker. He- it's heavily sampled. Like you can't, you can't put it on Spotify or anything because it's him rapping over incredibly famous songs that he obviously doesn't have to write for, like Painted Black. Frank Ocean uh, did that as well. And... Um, it's all storytelling, and it's all really interesting storytelling. So there's, there's a, one of the famous tracks on it. It's called Charmaine, and it's about him falling in love with a girl, and there's a big twist at the end where um, they find out the girl is underage. Um, and there's this other song where he raps over um, a, a Jose Gonzalez song, and that is the song that I was reminded of when i heard this it's called crosses and it's him rapping from the perspective of a absent father um and he raps from the moment the child is born until the absent father dies young um from smoking too much smoking himself into an early grave and it was just a weird i found it a weird um bit of chemistry between that mixtape from like probably 20 years ago and this in terms of these all these different stories that are fictional storytelling from different perspectives that all seem to have a sort of similar theme throughout. Um, and I listened back to um, Plan B's mixtape and it's really good. And I, know, I think he's probably quite an uncool person to like, but I would recommend listening to Ch- Ch- It's on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Tall poppy syndrome got the best of plan B. The what syndrome? Tall poppy? Yeah. What's that? It's just that British thing, uh, you know, the kind of Scottish cringe. Do you know what I mean? Right. It's like, if somebody's successful, you're like, oh. So everybody loved plan B until he was famous, and then he went, oh, he's in everything. And then everybody hated him. Something I've never had the misfortune of having, you know, success. So. Yeah, I think I'm going to be fine to avoid that problem <laughs> for the rest of my life. I'm actually purposely avoiding it. Yeah, yeah, me too. I'm a short poppy. Um, yeah, 
I don't know what you're saying there. You're saying that Plan B would also be in the fiction section of a music shop if they done I it. I guess so. I don't really know what I'm saying either. I just listened to it and it was cool. And I was like, I haven't heard this album something. for a while. Yeah. And, and I have long COVID and you are putting a lot of stress on my fatigued brain. <laughs> Talking about putting down the working man. Right now, I'm on. I'm a factory worker and you're the fucking boss walking Whoa. up and down with your clipboard saying, hurry up, hurry up, tighten that engine. The fact that you've got covid and it's had an effect on you and your workplace probably i mean it's very much being like a co-worker who's got the black lung you know mm-hmm. so really you should be listening to more country music i'm writing country music every time you go up on that bloody stage with that microphone in your hand it's a banjo strum on the frontier of tomorrow um so hey did you enjoy an album loved it spent too long kind of slagging you off that i didn't actually get to talk about most of the stuff I loved about it, uh, that's just because I like to do that. Um, I thought it was absolutely cliche-proof country music. You know, the, the way this guy talks about writing songs, you know, he doesn't... He's a big believer in uh, a wee thing I've put up on my wall since I heard him talk about it. Inspiration is for amateurs. The rest of us just show up and get to work. He's not sitting about waiting for ideas and he's fucking at the coalface crafting away editing there's an interesting thing you can tell because uh, i don't know if this was on the version of the album that you listened to but there's elephant that song that you like about the cancer friend and then at the end of it there's a demo version of elephant which is um I've, I've, an early version of it that isn't produced as nicely it's just a demo version and some of the lyrics change very slightly and it just shows you how he's tweaked little words to kind of make it a bit less cliche and make it a bit more unique and stuff and it reminds me of when scott hutchison for frightened rabbit before he put out a song called boxing night about drinking himself to death on uh boxing day um he put out a demo version of it and i thought the lyrics to the demo were a lot better than the finished version and the same thing with this it's like it's almost as if the roar of the idea is sometimes the kind of fresher it seems yeah, well, you know, sometimes when you see um, stand-ups on TV, you see a sanitised version of what you're used to seeing them do in a club. I think yeah. it's a similar thing, you know, the, the more real... Yeah. Um, Did you enjoy an album, baby? Uh, the bits that stood out, I really loved, and I understand why people really love it. Uh-huh. Um, I disagree about the, the, the cliches on some of the tracks. Obviously, we've covered that. Um, <laughs> the... I would say about there's about about half of the album I think is brilliant. Uh-huh. The other half I'm I'm not that into. Okay. Uh, and but I like him as a guy. Yeah. I wish him the very best. <laughs> hey Jason, don't let my uh, poo pooing of half of your album get you down. Okay? Do you think you would have enjoyed this more if you didn't have long COVID? No, because I listen to it in all moods, and the the thing that is with my fatigue is that it's fluctuating. Oh. So, so I've I've heard it whilst in, uh, you know, uh, whilst up and about and feeling fine, and um, whilst lying down and feeling sad. So, I um, I don't think that that's that relevant in my enjoyment of it. Mm. I have a natural aversion to uh, country cliches, which I think is just a little bit more sensitive than yours, as you have apparently been getting into country recently. So you you think, even though I've been listening to more of it, yours is more sensitive? Well, I've, my na- my aversion mm-hmm. to it is... Right, okay, yeah. 
you know it's Hopefully. like hey it's it's like hey you know uh if if you don't like pineapples then someone comes in with five different types of pineapple you're like i hate all of these man it's everything's like a pineapple yeah exactly yeah. whereas if you are going i'm actually getting into pineapples <laughs> and you're putting pineapples in all different meals yeah then you're you're going actually the pineapple is more complex you put it in a curry these ones for the caribbean these are fucking really like and I'm i like, know you like pineapples but this is like a specific type pineapple away from me man okay i think that oh is that something you're going to work on well i don't know so here's the thing with this record i've just eaten a little bit of soup and then after i've had it you've gone there's a little bit of pineapple in there and i'm like you know what i get i get I, that was all right mm-hmm. there was some pineapple soup in here but it was honestly also... i would say anybody who's listening to this check out his other records because the last three he's put out are under the name jason isbell and the 500 unit or the 400, the 400 unit the 400 unit the, 400 which was unit. A, the name of a local uh closed down uh mental institution so the 400 unit and they're a lot more, you know, a lot less kind of down in the dumps, sad boy stuff. It's a lot more upbeat, more upfront production as well, you know, so uh, a lot more present. Let's do playlist picks. What are you having from the album? Uh, from the album, I would say I'm going to stick on... I don't want to put... Elephant's probably the best song on it, but it's very depressing. Um, I think I think every now and then we're going to have to allow for that. Uh-huh. Because, like, you know, the best songs on this album are the depressing ones. Yeah. I'm so going like, to put on a song I haven't even mentioned, but it's, I think it's my favourite. Relatively easy. It's about looking at your worth. Looking at, like, looking at, comparing your problems to the problems of other people. It kind of seems like, hey, don't moan about what you're going through, because it doesn't matter compared to what other people go through. Then, as the song goes through, I mean, that's quite a fucking stupid way of looking at depression. Do you know what I mean? It'd be like, oh, things could be worse. As the song goes on, it morphs into a kind of more in-depth look at uh, comparing yourself to other people. It's really, really beautiful, crafted songwriting that is just fucking humanistic. Mm. Oh, deep. Really nice stuff. I'm going to put on Relatively Weasley. Relatively Weasley by Ron Weasley. (laughs) I'm going to put on relatively easy <laughs> by um, Jason Isbell from a album pick. What's your mm. album pick? I'm going to put on Live Oak. Mm. I, I just think it's such a cool song, you know. I Hit me admit. like a brick wall first time I heard it. Mm. Then yeah, starts talking about killing people. I was like, we should be investigating these crimes. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And I love original like ideas in songs. And I haven't heard many songs about pre-Civil War murderers going back to their loved ones and wondering whether or not they're still the same person that their partner fell in love with years ago. Yeah. I've heard many songs like that. Couple. How many? Seven. Yeah. A couple of radio headbangers out there. Yeah. Um, and your extra pick? Hey, I was I was reading an article. No, I was, I was listening to an interview between Jason Isbell and George Saunders. The uh, author? Yeah. Okay. The kind of American writer. Lincoln in the Bardo. I don't know this kind of all, but George Saunders he won the um, he won the Booker Prize. I think he was the first American author to win the Booker Prize. He wrote a book called The Lincoln in the Bardo. Uh-huh. It's really you would love it, man. I read it in a one uh, in between Australia and here. Oh. Um, is, it, is it good? It's, 
Yeah, it's about uh, it's like a magical realism kind of story. Sold. I'm sold. I'm sold. Um, magical uh, realism. Love it. Yeah, he he um he basically. Uh, you know what? I, reading a book in a one-er can kind of fuck you up sometimes because yeah. it's like a lot of information is taken at once and it's not like a necessarily easy, easy book to read. <laughs> but ba- but basically, it's about him having a a night's worth of conversations with the ghost of Abraham Lincoln um, in, a, in a graveyard. Well, GQ um, have this interview. It's an hour long. George Saunders talking to Jason Isbell about writing. And it's really really good <laughs> yeah i bet i bet i bet they'd both be, have really fascinating things to say on 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 writing because they're both very they are unique writers one of the uh one of the th- questions he asks him those was your three favorite guitar solos uh because jason i suppose always said that first and foremost he's a guitar player in a band before he's a songwriter um and he says the outro solo is still to heaven the solo Jimi hendrix all along the watchtower and then the third one is a slide guitarist who I can't even remember the name of, but it's on a Jackson Brown song called Running On Empty. And my favourite song from Jackson Brown's album, Running On Empty, is a song I discovered through Josh Homme's Apple Music radio show, The Alligator Hour, and he, on a couple episodes, he played this song, The Road, by Jackson Brown. And it's, I know, country cliches, this is another one of those country songs that takes the... The cliche of "Oh, I've been on the road so long," but some of the lyrics on this song, absolutely fucking incredible. There's a bit at the start where he goes, where he's talking about, "You were right about the stars, you were wrong about the moon," and it kind of refers back to the start. It's like, oh, powerful stuff, man. I fudged that explanation of why it was good, but really, I've okay, listened maybe- to. It. Sometimes Maybe I'm on editing, a train. Editing Sorry? can um, fast forward it. Hopefully. Oh, is this too long? Oh. <laughs> I um, please don't Eddie. Keep in him requesting it gets fast forwarded, but please don't fast forward me, bro. <laughs> um, but uh, sometimes I would listen to that because when I was younger, I was like, "Why are these songs about being on the road? I'm not interested in this." Then I had got a job when I was on the road, and it made me severely depressed. Uh, that I was just spending weekends in hotels by myself. You don't want to die in a Super 8 motel. I don't want to die in a budget Ibis in Portsmouth. Yeah. That's why I like that song so much, because it's like, fuck, man. I've stayed at the Bath YMCA, try to watch WrestleMania on hotel Wi-Fi, and I spill iron brew on the floor, and I have to go down to the front desk and ask for paper towels to clean up my mess. That's exactly what he's singing about. <sighs> Might as well be, man. <laughs> but that's, that's, that's the song The Road by uh, Jackson Brown. Incredible. What's your uh, playlist pick that's not for the album? Um, so I don't know if this is a controversial one. Um, I was reading Jason Isbell and the 400 unit um, like to close each show with um, Like a Hurricane by Neil Young and Crazy Horse. Do you know why that is? Because it's an incredible song. His dad used to play that song with him. His, his uncles and his, his grandpa used to... They used to... Uh, I think it was his dad, actually. His grandpa taught him how to play guitar, but his dad would play these 25-minute versions of Like a Hurricane. Well, I I looked it up, and there are Neil Young, Crazy Horse albums on the list, but not the one that that's on. So I think I can pretty safely... That's a put cool on, choice. ...put on Like a Hurricane, my dad's favourite song. Wow. Can um, I embarrass myself? Sure. So I was reading about that 
song being very important to Jason Isbell and how his dad would do 25 minute cover versions of it because it's quite a jammy song isn't it mm. I thought he was talking about the song Here I Am Rock Me Like a Hurricane by the Scorpions there's a lot of good Hurricane songs actually <laughs> but I was like oh yeah his dad who's a country singer for Alabama he's definitely jamming out 25 minute versions of Rock Me Like a Hurricane but there's also Hurricane by Bob Dylan which is one of his best storytelling um, songs do you know that song? I don't like magicians he wrote a song about the boxer, the Hurricane, who was um, sentenced to um, death row, I think, for a murder that he obviously didn't do, and it was like a racist, famous racist case. Um, yeah, how can you hold a gun when you're wearing boxing gloves? I mean, exactly. <laughs> and there's a film about it, and and that song is also incredible, and may well end up on this list, on this playlist at some point, but not mm. today because today it's Neil Young, Crazy Horse. Can I just say, uh, like a hurricane, best playlist choice you've ever made. Well, no, because that was William Shatner's cover of Common People by Pulp. Who are we listening to next week? Next week it is the album by Sinead O'Connor, I Do Not Want What I Have Not Got. Did I get that right? Yes. <laughs> well Great. done. Yeah, yeah. Um, First time. I do not want what I have not got. I tell you what, I have got a bloody podcast co-host who knows what's coming up next week. I do not want what I have not got I'll tell you what I do have great friend sorry I got upset about country music I'm getting into country I don't know if I mentioned it and I'm proud to do this podcast with you I do not want what I haven't got and I'll tell you what I have got long covid (laughs) (laughs) oh no enjoy your week I'm gonna go have a lie down Uh, Enjoy your fatigue, mate. (laughs) Okay, bye. Bye.